actually understanding who they are. The uniqueness of pluralistic society, at least the way I understand it, uh, is that for everyone to be able to contribute to the well-being of everybody else within the society, as you are, Mm -hmm. with your own culture, with your own understanding, your own language, uh, and civilization and everything else. If the the culture demands that you give up on certain aspects of mm-hmm. uh, your love. That's not pluralism. Right. It's top-down asymmetrical relationship. Right. But uh, uh, if we really understand pluralism the way it should be... of the Project on Shiism and Global Affairs at Harvard University's Weatherhead Center for International Affairs. My name is Mohamed Saga, and I'm an Associate and Research Director for Shia History and Identity at the Project, as well as a PhD candidate in Islamic History and Civilization at the University of Chicago. Our guest today is Sheikh Ibrahim Khazaruni, the Imam of the Islamic Center of America, one of the largest and most prominent Islamic centers in North America. Dr. Khazaruni was born in the city of Najaf in southern Iraq into a family of Muslim theologians. He began his religious studies at an early age and continued with his studies until his life took an unexpected turn, which we will discuss in the podcast today. In 1974, he was arrested by Saddam Hussein's regime and imprisoned for more than five months. After being released, he left Iraq and spent a few years in the Middle East, including in Iran. While in Iran, he completed his theological studies in the seminary system. Eventually, he left for England to begin his Western academic education. In addition to Islamic theological studies in Najaf and Qom, Sheikh Khazaruni received his PhD from the University of Denver and Ilif School of Theology. Currently, he is a fellow at the Center for Study of Human Trafficking at the Corbell School of International Studies at the University of Denver, and he is an adjunct faculty at the University of Detroit Mercy, as well as the Imam of the Islamic Center of America in Dearborn. So Sheikh Khazaruni, if you could uh, give us a little bit of a background about your own journey, um, your family's history, um, both in Iran and Iraq, what circumstances led you to um, leave the country and your different journeys to different parts of the of the world? If you could give us a brief biography about yourself. My name is Ibrahim Kazaruni. Although I'm originally from Iraq, but my ancestors were from Iran. They left Iran and immigrated to Iraq after the Tambaku incident in 1892, uh, in the southern part or southwestern part of Shiraz, was at that time uh, primarily centered on tobacco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that particular fatwa of Marhum Shirazi affected the area, and uh, the landowners and the aristocracy, mm-hmm. uh, they took revenge on the mashayikh and the yeah. religious scholars. Yeah. So they spread and they left. A number of the families moved out to a different city in Iran, but mm. my, our family uh, immigrated to Iraq. And you had a clerical family at that Yes, time. as far as I know, my from paternal side of my, my family have always been uh, scholars, religious scholars. Mm. 
or what is called clerical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when, once they moved into Iraq, we have, by the way, some of the Khazaruni family in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Iraq, there are two or three places that Khazaruni families are. Uh, some in Najaf uh, and another one, I think, group in Nasiriyah. Uh, we are not related, mm. but uh, beyond that, city. originally from the same city. Mm. And a number of Khazaruni families moved to Bahrain mm. uh, and Kuwait mm. uh, around this, uh, the, the Persian mm. Gulf uh, mm. states. Uh, from 1893, uh, around the Ottoman, mm. latter part of the Ottoman period, mm-hmm. where my family moved to Iraq. Since then, the paternal side, my father and so on, they were all born in Iraq. And I was born in Iraq too. And uh, there was a cultural issue that uh, at least one or two sons of each generation had to become a theologian. And since I was Mm -hmm. the first son of my generation, Uh, nobody asked me what you want to do I was just destined to become a theologian Uh, after finishing the primary school I was taken out and uh, initially my uncle began to teach me basic uh, Hosech and then we moved uh, further and I moved into uh, what is called seminary or madrasa Mm -hmm and lived in the, that school, Madras al-Akhund, uh, which is mm. now in Hawaish, the end of Hawaish, still there. Mm. Mm. I st- continued my education until 1974. Mm. Uh, by the way, when in the la- latter part of 1962, my family, because of the uprising in Iraq, my father decided that... Uh, Iraq politically was unstable. So he decided to take his family to Iran and see whether he can make a start mm-hmm. uh, in, in a country that his grandparents have, mm-hmm. ha- had left. Unfortunately, literally he walked into Iran during the turmoil of Punzda mm-hmm. Khordad uh, mm-hmm. and the uprising of, uh, that led mm-hmm. to Marhum Imam. Uh, and uh, being mm. expelled from Iran. 1963. 1963. Mm-hmm. So within a few months, the whole uprising began to take shape. And I remember that infamous day I was at a school in Tehran, mm. and uh, suddenly we uh, heard that uh, bullets were being uh, mm-hmm. fired and uh, mm. tanks and everything mm. else. Mm. And my father was captured by the Secret Service. Uh, they. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to Madras al Marvi, which mm-hmm. is in Tehran, mm-hmm. and took a number of religious scholars. Mm-hmm. And uh, they beat them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, once he was released the day after, he, he began vomiting blood, oh and within 24 hours he died. Oh my goodness. What year yeah. was this? It was 63, 1963. In six, yeah. Oh, in the uprising? The, within a few days okay. of the uprising, oh goodness, literally. Uh, by then, my uncle decided that since we, I mean, we had mm. lost the father, uh, there was no way we could stay in Iran, so he came and took us back to Iraq. I went to Hausa and continued my education until 1974, uh, mm. where the, uh, mm. I was ca- I mean, uh, captured by the Secret Service in, in Iraq and imprisoned for a number of months. Mm. And I went to Qasnaya, Abu Ghraib, and mm. other, all other places. 
they finally mm. released me. And once I got back to Najaf, mm. it has its own long history. How old I, were you when they... About 15. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I decided not to stay. Uh, and uh, mm. again, how did they take me out? That's mm. again another mm. story. Mm. Managed to get out of Iraq uh, and got to Syria, mm. spent some time in Syria and Lebanon, mm. then went to Iran. Uh, 1975, uh, I was in Iran in 1976, these mm. two years. Mm. I really felt uncomfortable because the oppression was unbelievable. Mm. Uh, uh, the secret service, the Sawak was everywhere. Mm. You couldn't even speak to your friends. You mm. couldn't go to lectures or mm. anything else. Mm. So in, I decided to get out of Iran. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, following a particular path, mm. I managed to get back to Syria mm. and to Lebanon. I was advised not not to stay in Lebanon or in Syria because the Iraqi secret mm. service were mm. literally every, everywhere and mm. there were a number of people that late at night they were snatched literally mm. and taken back to Iraq. Mm. So there was mm. uh, Sheikh Nasrullah Al Khali that mm. we talked about it a few nights ago. Mm. The, the person that uh, not only was a friend of the family and in mm. charge of the school Madras al Aqund. Mm. Mm. By then, in 1975, uh, uh, sorry, 70, late 76, mm. he was uh, settled in Syria. Mm. He decided to mm. uh, take a ticket for me and send mm. me to London mm. to stay away from the Middle East mm. for, a, for a while. Mm. I really did not think that my stay in uh, London is going mm. to take long. Mm. But within a year of literally mm. arriving in London, uh, the uprising in Iran started. Mm, 1979. Yes. 1978-79. Mm. Uh, and although I was seriously thinking of mm. going back to Iran because I had, uh, I knew Marhum Imam and mm. I, and his son Marhum Mustafa was my mm. my professor mm. or teacher. In Najaf. In Najaf, yeah. Oh. So I had close mm. relationship mm. with the family. I thought I can go back to Iran. Mm. I. I don't remember what were the reasons that mm. uh, I decided otherwise. Mm. So I stayed in London and mm. I fin finished my uh, undergraduate degree mm. in mining and petroleum engineering. I could just pause you right there for, for a moment if that's all right. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned in previous um, discussions as well, other members of your family had also been targeted. Uh, I think you, you mentioned your brother had been targeted in Iraq. Yes, in um, the war, when the war between Iraq and Iran started, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it has a relevance to what I was just mm. uh, saying. Mm. In a sense, when I went to university and registered at Imperial College mm. for mm. my undergraduate degree, mm. I really didn't know that uh, up to then, at least my family knew that I was safe mm. because I could send news back to mm. the family mm. that I'm okay without specifically telling them exactly where I were. Mm. Mm. But... Uh, the, certainly the government didn't know mm. that I had run away from Iraq mm. and uh, they mm. uh, and that I, that I was living in London mm. Mm. the Iraqi government the Iraqi government mm. once I registered for undergraduate degree I mm. really did not know that this university had some kind of an obligation or arrangement with the university with the uh, embassies mm. that uh, they have wow. to send a list to the embassy that we have six Iraqi oh. students or to the Iranian embassy that we mm. have five Iranian mm. students mm. or whatever. Uh, and within, I believe, two months, literally September, I started the mm. course. 
and uh, in November around that time I received a letter from the Iraqi embassy mm. and this was during the Iraq-Iran war mm. uh, initially very diplomatic uh, that mm. the mother motherland wants you the, mm. this is a time that you really have to mm. support motherland etc Mm. My response to them was again uh, uh, equally diplomatic, mm. saying that my course is going to be beneficial to the country, etc. Hoping that they would right. let go and uh, mm. would not pursue it, mm. but unfortunately they didn't. Mm. Finally, they gave me a notice that within a month, if you don't come, uh, your citizenship will be revoked, and the consequences for you and your family would be severe. Mm. They wouldn't. They couldn't do anything to me in mm. London, mm. but uh, the reprisal against the family yes. was immediate. Mm. So my brother was killed, oh my my, uh, my cousin was killed, oh and my, my uncle was killed. So, and a number of other friends that mm. they, uh, they were with me, colleagues at the un, at the madrasa, uh, madrasa mm. al they were killed. They, uh, they were drafted, or were they tortured, like taken by the secret service? We just don't know. Uh, well, I mean they. They would be taken by the Secret Service. Mm. And uh, my uncle, we only found out after the fall of Baghdad when the Abu Ghraib, uh, they oh, kind of uh, land around Abu Ghraib that people mm -hmm. were uh, just buried mm. uh, with a tag on mm -hmm. uh, their body. The ID we identified my uncle as one of them. Mm -hmm. But my brother and my cousin, they were killed and they was, their, their bodies were given to the family. Oh, uh, so that part of it we know, oh, like yeah. uh, but uh, it, it, mm. this was, I really decided to yeah. go back at that time. Yeah. But a friend advised me that, look, what is the guarantee that you yeah. go back, you will be killed as well. Right. So they are not going to do anything. Right. Right. As, as the British would say, I chickened out. Mm. Uh, so I really... Well, they could have, I mean, there's no guarantee also that they wouldn't have targeted your relatives and family anyway. Yes. I mean, yeah. there, there was no... Yeah. But uh, the situation got worse between mm. Iraq and Iran, and so they somehow mm. relented as far mm. as uh, pursuing mm. this. So I stayed mm. in Iraq, in, in London, mm. and I didn't go back. Uh, then, mm. And uh, what was your course of study there in London? When you joined? Yeah, I, I, at that time I was uh, taking my undergraduate degree and, at mining and petroleum engineering okay, right, at Imperial right. College. Okay. Uh, mm. uh, once I finished... I worked as mining engineer for a while mm. in various mines in England and then mm. I decided to go for an MBA in management mm. uh, which I completed uh, and uh, by, by then every time I tried to get an extra uh, kind of qualification mm. uh, or diplomas or something mm. that moved, take, took me away from theological work, mm. somehow God works in a mysterious mm. way, I was sucked into mm. it more and more. Ayatollah Sistani asked me, or his office asked mm. me to go to Canada in 1995, 1996 mm. uh, to prepare a report uh, about the Shia community, particularly mm. the Iraqis mm. and the Lebanese living in Montreal mm. or in Quebec, which I spent about a year and a half to two mm. years over there. And mm. I prepared a detailed report with mm. the cost analysis, etc. Mm. And I submitted to Sijawat Sharistani, which is the son-in-law of Mahmoud mm. uh, mm. Sistani, in Qom. Uh, then I went back to London and worked at the Islam Islamic Center for a while until there was a, uh, an invitation I received from the center, in, uh, an Islamic center in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Here, mm -hmm. uh, took uh, they were searching or headhunting for an imam. Mm -hmm. 
I'm uh, after a few years of work f by them to get mm. my visa organized. Mm. In 2000, I moved from London to mm. Denver, Colorado. Mm. I stayed with the center. What motivated you to move from, from the UK to, to Denver? Well, because they indicated that they really desperately needed somebody that uh, spoke fluently a few mm. languages mm. because of the diversity of the community. Mm. Mm. They had uh, revert, they, have, uh, mm. they had convert, mm. and they had Arabs and they had Iranians. Mm. So, particularly first generation, uh, um, we'll call them Middle Eastern American or mm. whatever, however we define them, mm. that uh, the primary language was English. Particularly they liked my background because not only within a theological school, the academic background. Mm. So after four or five years of working with them, I got fed up with the politics of mm. uh, uh, petty politics mm. of these religious organizations. Mm -hmm. It's a recurring theme. And <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so I began going back into the theological kind of academic work mm -hmm. and uh, I took a graduate degree in Christian Jew and Jewish history and theology at Eilif School of Theology. While I was there, the war in Iraq had already started. Mm -hmm. I was offered... The 2003 war. Two, yes, 2003. Uh, and I began going around giving lectures and mm -hmm. uh, uh, kind of explaining the whole background mm. uh, to American presence and the mm. consequences. Mm. Uh, then, uh, uh, University of Denver, which is very close to Eilif School of Theology, mm. is literally mm. within the same campus, uh, offered me uh, some kind of uh, financial support to mm. take a master in uh, global and uh, international studies, which I, they told me the only uh, string attached to it was that I had to finish it within a year. Mm. And I was already taking uh, a master's degree at ILEF, so mm. it was tough year. Mm, mm. Uh, I finished that, then they offered me uh, su support to, to finish my PhD, mm -hmm. which I finished, alhamdulillah. And uh, I stayed there, children grew, uh, mm. the f environment became uh, uncomfortable, particularly when my daughter uh, mm. began to wear, wear hijab mm. at school, etc. In wife, Denver? Denver, yes. Mm. And my wife being Lebanese, mm. she used to live here. Mm -hmm. She suggested, well, what about coming mm. into this environment? Mm. I came over here not for job or anything, mm. primarily mm. was to see if I can find a friendly environment mm. for the family. Mm. But uh, mm -hmm. then they say mm -hmm. uh, it, it happened that there mm. were some uh, problems with my predecessor mm. with the Islamic Center and mm. they were looking for someone. Mm. Uh, somebody showed them my CV mm -hmm. and they contacted me and mm -hmm. the rest is history. Right, right. <laughs> well, um, the, the, your, I think your journey is a particularly fascinating one because it touches upon um, basically many of the main um, areas uh, or focal points of the Shia world and the, I, and the fact that um, especially for Shia, um, this, I, this notion of transnationalism is very mm -hmm. strong. Um, both your own family's history um, and the connections between Iran and Iraq are historical, they're deep. Um, you were raised uh, speaking fluent uh, Arabic and Persian. Um, so, you know, if you were to go to Iran, no one would know that that uh, you were raised in Iraq. Everyone would think you're, you're in Iran. And that's a lot of families in Iraq um, are, are like that as well. Um, so in your own, so if, looking back on your own journey before the revolution um, until uh, now, 
um, how do you see change, major changes, uh, both in the Middle East and in uh, diaspora communities here? One of the themes that really came out to me um, uh, in your experience was this era, was this um, basically atmosphere of repression, um, which seems very difficult to deal with both on a psychological level, on a personal level, um, with governments both uh, in Iran and uh, during the Shah's Iraq with Sabak and, and so on. Um, that there must have been such enormous pressure uh, just on Shia identity, even if you weren't involved in Shia politics per se or any political activity. Um, how have you seen that that changing in your own, the different places that you've been in? Um, what are some of the major changes that you've seen um, in your own experience in the transnational Shia worlds, whether in the Middle East, in London, uh, and the United States? Well, starting from the Middle East, I don't believe before the Islamic Revolution Shia may have uh, uh, had demographic majority in various countries, mm -hmm. but they really had no political clout per se. Uh, and that has its own reason, for example, in Iraq, where I come from, although around 60 to 65 percent of the population were Shias. But uh, since the 19, since the division of the Ottomans and the creation of some entity or a state called Iraq, mm -hmm. The whole structure, how the British worked uh, by first giving the power to the remnant of the Ottoman Turks mm -hmm. to be in charge, mm -hmm. and after that, even after the constitution mm -hmm. uh, of 1930s and 40s, uh, it was the Sunnis that were given the power. Yes, at that time, the Shias could have done something, particularly the Shia ulama could have done something, but the what happened in post-1920 revolution of, uh, I mean, uprising of mm. Shias in the south against the British, le being led by uh, Sheikh Muhammad Shirazi and, and others, mm -hmm. uh, somehow the Marja'iyah at that time took, decided to step away from politics, mm -hmm leaving the space for the Sunni community to dictate. Mm, mm. And in 1958, when the revolution took place against the mm -hmm. the kingdom, uh, the Faisal family, and mm. Abdul Karim Qasim came to power, mm -hmm. although to a degree he was closer to the Shias because his mm. mother was a Shia, mm. uh, to the Shias than, say, Abdul Salam Arif or mm. Abdul Rahman, or even Saddam and, and the rest. Mm. But uh, the fact that the Shia uh, clerical leadership and mm -hmm. the Marja'iyat decided to stay away from mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. uh, gave ample opportunity for the Sunnis to take uh, mm -hmm. control. And as a consequence, even our books, mm -hmm. I mean, I remember in uh, schools in Najaf, our books were Sunni structured, mm -hmm. given to us by the Department mm -hmm. of Education, which is organized mm -hmm. in Baghdad rather mm -hmm. than by the Shia community. In the, in the seminary system? No, no, not in seminary, oh, in, in, ordinary schools, okay. Okay. in ordinary right. schools. So we really had no say mm. uh, in mm. the political power structure. And so we were just uh, a kind of a followers. Mm. And that led to a huge amount of problem when, whenever some, because by then mm. the Sunni community had established itself mm. uh, and rigidly uh, structured the, the mm. political power in its own favor, mm. Anybody within the Shia community that decided to create a challenge immediately eliminated. Mm, mm. Uh, we saw what happened in the case of Marhum Shahid Muhammad Bakr Sadr mm. and a number of his followers and youth, etc., etc. The ramif another ramification for this was the alienation within the the youth community or the uh, the mm -hmm. younger generation. 
that once Shias were unable to provide a, a narrative of power, mm. uh, an alternative, uh, uh, call it a paradigm to the Sunni structure, they drifted towards communism and socialism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That had its own right. created its own problem yeah. uh, for the yeah, Shia huge community. communist Shia yes. um, yeah. movement in Iraq, in particular. Yeah. yeah, if you remember this group, right. yeah. that uh, they became alienated, where right. right. Marjaiya purely confines itself in right. the context of, right. uh, uh, say, Ahkam, Sharia, Salat, Som. Mm -hmm. The major issue of power mm -hmm. uh, is not addressed, mm -hmm. and we were discriminated against. People mm -hmm. didn't say anything, but certainly mm -hmm. the government did. Mm -hmm. uh, the government, on, on paper, for example, nobody would argue whether your name is mm -hmm. this or Shia or the other, but it was quite clear that power is in the hand of the Sunni community and it's being led yeah, systematically. Yeah. And it's being led or organized from Baghdad. Right, right. It was after the revolution. Mm -hmm that suddenly the Sunnis woke up. Mm. I mean, even the same thing you can see it if you look at the image for the Shia community in the West, mm. pre-Islamic revolution mm. and post-Islamic revolution. Mm. Uh, Iran was associated with Persian carpets and few Zoroastrians right. and some uh, Zafrans or some issues like right. that. And the Shah, uh, and that's it. Mm -hmm. The idea that Shia community has its own history, its own mm -hmm. culture, mm -hmm. its own unique ontology, its own epistemology, mm -hmm. its own uh, mm -hmm. uh, issue of power, etc., etc., mm -hmm. didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the West w woke up mm -hmm. with an old man, as they uh, have seen the narrative, an old man uh, that they called him even senile, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that suddenly... Mm -hmm. uh, turn the table. Right, right. So b both in, in the Middle East mm. as well as in the West. Mm, mm. I, I had already seen and experienced the mm. crisis in Iraq mm. uh, in the pre-Islamic revolution mm. and I was in London in the during the revolution and the post-revolution mm. mm. where the whole idea uh, mm. unpacked itself mm. and suddenly the newspapers mm. try, uh, uh, mm. clamoring over it th themselves mm. trying to find some What's kind of narrative to explain exactly right. what has happened in, in Iraq. Yeah, so I think that those, uh, what happened in the Middle East uh, certainly affects um, diaspora communities, communities that have left that homeland. And I think that, f uh, speaking about, particularly in the West, in places like London and the United States, and particularly for Shias, um, because they already are a minority within Islam, that even within Muslim communities, they tend to uh, downplay or not necessarily be as open about that Shia identity. Um, becomes even doubly hard as as you mentioned because of the kind of the lack of any sort of um, sort of, uh, you know organizing political idea or identity um, pre revolution, um, but of course that changed um, afterwards. So you know what happened in the Middle East? Um, did you find that also affecting communities um, in London and elsewhere where they were keeping an eye towards that what was going on there and that was affecting their own Shia identity uh, abroad. Uh, I believe you have to look, I, I don't believe there were a monolithic community as far as whether Iranian Iraqis mm -hmm. and their reaction towards the Islamic revolution and uh, what happened in Iran. Uh, if you look at even in history in United States, mm -hmm. those that came to United States during the Shah's regime, particularly around the end of his reign, they were the revolutionaries that stood supporting the revolution and worked hard within the student unions and others uh, organizations and most of them went back 
to Iran mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. the success of the revolution. Mm-hmm. As a consequence, the exodus that came out of Iran mm-hmm. were counter-revolutionaries, pro-Shah, that did not want mm. to stay in Iran. Mm. So now you are trying to create a new mm. dichotomy in, in, mm. in the West. Mm. The same thing happened in London. It mm. was very very clear. Uh, it was much easier for the Iranian community to, to come to London at that time than, say, to come to the mm. United States. Mm. Or at least I didn't know, but that was something that, that mm. I, I could see, mm. where the students that were pro-revolution, mm. pro-imam, pro-Islamic revolution, immediately mm. they left their work and they mm. went back. Mm. The space, the vacuum was mm. filled mm. by the extreme rich uh, mm. and uh, uh, the, the, the mm. wealthy that were running away from the revolution mm. to come to to, uh, mm. to come to uh, to London, mm. and this created mm. the two narratives mm. of pro and anti mm. uh, yeah. uh, regime. And naturally, each one reacted differently to the idea of their identity in Mm. the light of Mm. what we call now uh, uh, the fact that Islamic revolution has taken place. While we had a number of those who were pre-revolution that stayed and they were Mm -hmm. pro-revolution, they were very adamant in supporting the revolution and stood up, particularly Mm. during the Mm Iraq-Iran war. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those who... Uh, the, the the exodus or the group that left Iran post-revolution and they were pro-Shah, anti, mm-hmm. they really had created their own narrative. Mm-hmm. And I could see them in a Speaker's Corners, for example, mm-hmm. a Speaker's Corner in London, mm-hmm. where there is a small uh, piece of land that uh, every Sunday afternoon you see people coming in to mm-hmm. speak about different issues, mm-hmm. the clash constantly between mm-hmm. now the new elite that has mm-hmm. left Iran mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, mm-hmm. constantly points uh, to the Iranian revolution as backward, etc., right. with the pro-revolutionaries that uh, were talking mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So this constant clash mm-hmm. was there. And as a consequence, it created uh, two narratives, mm-hmm. two different narratives mm-hmm. of paradigm for their own identity. Mm-hmm. Pro-revolutionaries constantly talked about, yes, we are proud, we are Shias, uh, and we are proud to support mm-hmm. the Islamic revolution, mm-hmm. etc., the elite that had run away from Iran, they became very quietest. Only mm. when they confronted the Iranians mm. that mm. were pro-revolutionaries that they became agitated mm. and they took position. Mm. Otherwise, they literally went under the radar and I could see, see them in this various parts mm. of London, particularly Kensington High Street, around mm. that mm. affluent uh, mm. places that mm. existed and they lived over there. Mm. Uh, they just... Their lifestyle was mm. similar to the British. Right. There was nothing in them to indicate that, uh, right. as we see some yeah. of them, for example, right. here yeah. Los Angeles, in Los Angeles right. and right. other places, right. Right. that you would not recognize unless yeah. they speak or they say something. The Iranian second generation of that family, mm. even you would not recognize mm. because yeah. they don't speak Farsi yeah. at all. Absolutely. Yeah. So this, the same thing happened mm. over there. So in a they sense, re- it was a secularization yes. of the opposition um, to, to the Islamic Republic. Well, uh, they were all secular. They were already secular, already right. secular during right. the Shah's right. regime, but now that they have moved into uh, right. London, right. the space, the freedom right. that they they got went way beyond mm. the Islamic uh, kind of. Mm. I mean, the Iranian uh, mm. milieu, and they could do whatever they want. Right. So it became even more secular. Right. right. And you see, and you see trends of that, like even here, um, uh, the Iranian American community here. 
of um, even like anti-Islamic uh, because of how they associate Islam with the Islamic revolution of anti-Islamic trends. Um, whereas if you were to go to their families when they lived in Iran under the Shah, you probably wouldn't see such an open antagonism, maybe a secularism, maybe a neutrality, or maybe even a even dislike of Islam, but not to the extent that you that you see uh, to an ex- uh, um, today. Um, I don't know if you if you would agree with that, but also thinking about other communities, what about like other Shia communities? How did they see the Iranian Revolution, and how did that affect uh, their identity? Well, as far as the first point that you raised, mm-hmm. Brother Muhammad, is I you because I was in Iran mm-hmm. uh, before the Islamic mm-hmm. Revolution, and I could see the wealthy mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. For them, Islam was reduced, literally, essentialized into purely prayer and fasting and anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. The notion that Islam could have its own unique philosophy, polit- uh, political philosophy, or uh, philosophy of power, or anything mm-hmm. else didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So for them, Islam was just superficial issues that, uh, well, you go to mosque, you do prayer mm-hmm. during Ramadan, mm-hmm. certain things, and Muharram, and that's it. There was nothing. Shiism meant that. When they came to London, they would participate. Some mm-hmm. of them would participate mm-hmm. in majalis during what they considered to be true Shiism. Mm-hmm. Just superficial ritual. Yes, exactly. Uh, but whenever there was a confrontation trying to discuss identity and associated mm-hmm. with Shiism, etc., etc., mm-hmm. no, 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 this is taboo mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Because for them, that uh, Shah's man, uh, secular mindset that religion is nothing to do with politics, etc., etc., that uh, really had held them down and it was very difficult to, to discuss anything with them. The same kind of things we see it in, say, Iraqi community. Mm-hmm. We had those, the secular one, mm-hmm. that lived in London, and their uh, antagonism towards, well, Islamic revolution now has brought Shiism to the surface. Now we are in problem because everybody is pointing mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. They would have preferred that comfortable lifestyle of being under the radar, mm-hmm. not being identified as Shia, mm-hmm. because their lifestyle had mm-hmm. nothing to do with Shia, mm-hmm. just superficial mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. So we, saw, we, we see it in Iraqis, mm-hmm. in Pakistanis, for example, mm-hmm. which are so mm-hmm. huge amount of Pakistani mm-hmm. fami- uh, families in London. Mm-hmm. Affluent. Af- yes, yeah. the affluent and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Khoji community, for example, stayed away from politics anyway. Sure because of their their own unique understanding of things. But uh, this dichotomy based on their own perception or or conception of Shiism as Mm -hmm. what it is, dictated how they reacted in the pro Mm -hmm. and against Mm -hmm. position of Iranian revolution. So, so nevertheless, depending whether they... um, were you know pro-revolution or anti-revolution or trying to stay neutral the revolution was nonetheless a watershed moment mm-hmm. in a shia modern identity sure. that it was something that c- people couldn't uh, avoid nonetheless yes um so when we think about now um if we fast forward um to, to contemporary a uh, few decades um after the revolution now it's for, it's been almost 40 years uh, since uh, more than 40 years since the, revolu- the, since the revolution um, what February s- will be forty-one years. Forty-one years, exactly. So, what will happen? What do you see as some of the main watershed issues that are affecting uh, Shia Shia Muslims? Um, you know, immediately what comes to mind is the two thousand three Iraq War, September eleventh. Um, at least for diaspora communities, um, how do you see um, how do you see the Shia community here 
40 years onward? What's the legacy of both the Iranian Revolution, but also so much that has happened uh, since then? Well, be- before I uh, address anything else, I think one thing that I feel we have not spent enough time to introduce uh, true Shia philosophical thought, political and otherwise, to the uh, generation that we, in the United States or anywhere else. Anecdotal issues are being picked up by the youth, but solid, structured uh, program mm. that introduces what Shiaism is mm. Mm. in all of its facets. Not just its understanding of imama only, not mm-hmm. its understanding of salat and zakat and everything mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. but in everything to do with it. Mm-hmm. In both in what we call, uh, if I may use this in ontological and epistemological way, mm-hmm. what makes a true Shia? Mm-hmm. We really haven't had, and this is why when Absolutely. I read at, uh, yeah. uh, the proposal that you sure. had and the work that your mm-hmm. center is trying mm-hmm. to, or the Harvard mm-hmm. center is trying to mm-hmm. organize, I think that this might be a pre, mm-hmm. I mean, some kind of beginning mm-hmm. step towards mm-hmm. that yes. Uh, yes. ultimate goal yeah. of uh, introducing Shia, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not just purely as a superficial uh, issue or mm-hmm. as uh, 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 something that uh, mm-hmm. uh, people, un- it's the yeah. whole gamut yeah, that involved yeah. in, 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 Shi- yeah. in Shiaism. That is yeah. missing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's number one. Every time I and in the mm. Friday prayer, if I open, I open. I have a habit of uh, re- making a reminder mm-hmm. every before my Friday prayer, mm-hmm. reminding them of major events of the week and or during the past two weeks. And I mention a few things about mm-hmm. political issues, etc. Every time I try to use that, the, at least the first sermon, the political mm. sermon, move in depth into it, I feel mm. it's too heavy mm. for the community because they don't have the background. So that actually brings me to the next question, which is if we look at sort of, we think about what institutions are sort of salient or the most relevant in the Shia world, immediately what comes to mind is the Marja'iya or the, the modern 12-er Shia clerical system. Um, that system, um, as I see it, um, is primarily focused on issues of Islamic law, fiqh. The whole educational um, ethos of the Hawza, of the Islamic Shia seminary, is for uh, issues of Islamic law. It doesn't, nest, it doesn't really touch or go deep into issues of ontology, epistemology. It does touch on these things, but that's not really the driving ethos of it. Um, so when we look at institutions um, in the Shia world, that seems to be the last remaining institution for whatever reason, um, which is sort of historically unique. Um, if you were to go uh, back to Iran or Iraq or these other places pre-modernity, um, you would see Muslim clergy, um, they wouldn't, being, being an alim wouldn't mean that you're just a, 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 someone who specializes in fiqh. An alim is anyone who has specialization in any type of science. Whereas today, that tends to just mean fiqh. Everything else is kind of, is left out, it's, um, it's another branch of uh, modern science, for example, that can, that can cover that. So how do you see, what role do you see for the modern Marja'iya system when you look at these issues? Is there more that the Marja'iya can do to better inform Shia communities? Um, or is that the task that's left uh, for others uh, to, to think about and to start to organize? And 
I don't. I mean, I believe that fundamentally there is there is a shortcoming in the in the uh, Shia seminaries in their contemporary understanding of it. I totally agree mm. that uh, the driving force, or at least this, its center, is around fiqh, soul, etc., etc., uh, at the expense of everything else. And I believe uh, in the pre-revolutionary time, characters such as Marhum Tahri, Mufatteh, Behishti, Marhum Tabatabai, and few others that uh, that grew up within the Hausa mm-hmm. became the driving force mm-hmm. of bridging the gap between what they call the university, the academic mm-hmm. uh, kind of environment, as well as the Hausa, where lecturers exchange and ideas were mm-hmm. exchanged between them. And uh, Marhum Imam Rahmatullah insisted in the Hausa and collaboration of Hausa and uh, Danishka. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, is mm-hmm. required, and I believe still uh, in some institutions uh, they they have this Qom Danishka Mufid and a uh, few others, Alama Tabatabai in Tehran, Imam Jafar Sadiq. Yeah. Somehow, and even Danishka Tehran yeah. and a uh, few others, Alama uh, Tabatabai, mm-hmm. they have uh, these exchanges that take place. Mm-hmm. But certainly, when it comes to Najaf, mm-hmm. there were attempt in the 1960s and 1970s mm-hmm. with the establishment of Kulliyatul Fiqh, for example, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. uh, Fiqh. Uh, university in or uh, in, in Najaf, Najaf and in, uh, in Baghdad and other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. this to bridge the gap mm-hmm. and begin to introduce these ideas or at least mm-hmm. begin a conversation between right. the two right. centers. And until that is done right. uh, and, I, and uh, themes are exchanged, discussion mm-hmm. takes place mm-hmm. where a scholar within a university would find it very easy to switch yeah. and accept a role within the Hosea and the Hosea mm-hmm. person is adapted to mm-hmm. moving across, uh, which means everyone will learn about the other's expertise. Right. Uh, then we certainly remain kind of aloof and, mm-hmm. and detached mm-hmm. from each other. Mm-hmm. And until that is done, where now that would take us back to the, to the days in mm-hmm. which the alim means the scholar yeah, that scholar, could yeah. easily switch yeah. from one yeah. uh, expertise or uh, uh, one yeah. theme to, uh, to it's a another. scientist. Alim yeah. is a scientist, so yeah. in the same sense that science, science may have yeah. its own connotation yeah. that yeah. some people sure. would not agree with yeah. it, but uh, in the in the secular sense, in the etymological sense, yes, that's, it's certainly yeah. It, yeah. there is nothing. Yeah. And I believe one of the things that. Uh, moved me into going away mm-hmm. from theological work into mm-hmm. the academic and particularly mm-hmm. getting, going to university and others mm-hmm. where this idea that right. since I have finished the, the uh, mm-hmm. clerical part, mm-hmm. uh, I really need to right. equip myself in the yeah. other. Yeah, I mean, I, I many years ago I, uh, I presented a number of uh, uh, lectures, call them political lectures, but uh, addressing the crisis that we have uh, primarily, uh, the Muslim community in the United States suffers mm. from three major problems. Mm. One is identity. Mm-hmm. Second, because of that identity, mm-hmm. political participation. Mm-hmm. Third is the, meth- uh, the strategy and the language that we really need mm-hmm. 
to be able to uh, mm -hmm. to dis have discourse uh, with with the rest of the community mm -hmm. and establish exactly what is the role of Islam. What is yeah. it that we understand? Islam yeah. is not just a minority religion. Islam, yeah. by default, is a religion that is supposed to provide an alternative answer yeah. when we have failure within the community. Exactly. And to be able to do that, yeah. those two has to be resolved. Yeah. I think that, but the issue here is, I think that. Um, the the sort of the default position in the Shia world is to refer to like the Marajaya, um, to sort of solve or look at these issues. Whereas if you try to actually engage, there's either disengagement, um, uh, in terms of like not really knowing what's going on, um, and the, or the nuances at least of what's going on outside of their own environment in the in the seminary system, um, but also like maybe the Marajaya. I mean the the, the what they're what they're concerned with tends to be more limited, at least now, not that that can't expand or uh, in the future, but it tends to be delimited more so on a specific set of Islamic law issues that are traditionally taught, um, not necessarily adopted or adapted to, to modern circumstances. Well, first of all, I don't believe the expectation that Marja has the magic wand that can dissolve right. everything right. is the right expectation. But do she has also... Uh, granted yeah. that this exists, yeah. But once we understand the limitation and the scope of the work that marjas do or maraja do, we really need, and I, I remember a few, about a year ago, uh, the, this TV in Iran, what is it mm -hmm. called, uh, the English language one? Jamaja, Press TV. Right? Press TV. Yeah. They contacted me and uh, they talked to me about uh, regarding the langu language mm -hmm. of identity that uh, in Iran mm -hmm. or Ayatollah Khamenei or anybody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, I agree with the concept that we Muslims in the West really need to define or search for an alternative identity. But mm -hmm. I disagree with the notion that this identity has to be dictated by somebody from mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. We have to create mm -hmm. that the narrative for that identity mm -hmm. because we understand the challenges. We understand the, the scope of uh, availability. I mean, mm -hmm. the scope of the uh, the interaction and mm -hmm. the life that we live. So it has to be ours. Mm -hmm. We may have ideas from somewhere else, but the narrative, the construction of that paradigm, it has to be ours. Mm -hmm. So, going back to your question mm -hmm. regarding the Hosea, I would. Once we understand that the role of the Hawza, even Qum, mm -hmm. we may call it a li little bit more liberated mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. on, but the concept of, say, Western philosophical thought yeah. or political uh, uh, yeah. Western po uh, political thought and so on, these are concepts debated in a specialized circle, right. Right. not something that they can create for an, uh, the narrative for an ordinary person mm -hmm. that we can bring it and apply it here. Mm -hmm. So that means, again, back to us. Mm -hmm. The environment, the uh, academic environment such as yours, mm -hmm. the, the, the religious scholars, uh, we have to sit down together and create mm -hmm. something as an alternative. Right. But within the parameter, right. the great, greater scheme of the sh right. who the Shias Shia or what the role right. the, the right. Shias are. Right. So that's where we have to start. We understand that uh, the same way that when it comes to building mosques, mm -hmm. there are those who wait for the day when Marja is going to build them a mosque. It's not going yeah, to happen. Yeah. If you really are not prepared 
to work together and create that uh, mosque mm -hmm. for yourself, waiting for the marja to mm -hmm. come, it's, it's not going to be. Uh, even if it comes, it will be just a center, mm -hmm. uh, a white elephant, because they are not within mm -hmm. the community to understand the mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. So you are passing right, each other right, right. on different planes. Uh, a, rel a center that becomes active becomes a center that is organized by the, by, by the community. Mm -hmm. So once we accept that the, the limited role of Marjaya, once we accept that we have challenges here, then who's going to organize it? Us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to organize right. something right. as an alternative. Right. I don't believe the Marjaya is able right. at this right. stage. Right. Uh, at best, yeah. um, uh, they simply, uh, their discourse, uh, an interaction with the West purely through the academic, very specialized right. Uh, right. Uh, kind of environment, right. which right. is far removed from right. ordinary right. Joe from the exactly. There's a particular, I mean, yeah, there's a particular sort of... Um, disconnect. Uh, yeah, there's a disconnect. And also, there, it's not necessarily their prerogative to necessarily mm -hmm. even to be engaged in that as well. They're engaged in a certain intellectual you yeah. know, um, tradition and so on. Um, and this is what... They may do it that way. Sure, Us sure. is a need. We have our own yeah, way of... This is yeah. our need. This exactly. we really must address. Exactly. Exactly. Here in our, in our own communities where we yeah. understand um, the issues that we're experiencing on a daily basis and what we think to be issues and challenges in the future. So, Sheikh Kazaruni, um, to, co to continue with the second part uh, of our discussion, um, we'd like to focus a bit on um, the specific community of Dearborn, the history of the community here, um, and sort of the, the importance that Dearborn has um, as the sort of the demographic center of um, uh, both Arab Americans, uh, but Muslim Americans um, as kind of the center, the most populous um, concentration of, uh, of Muslims and uh, as Mus uh, Muslim Americans and Arab Americans. Um, but also what the significance that the center has also as Shias, um, that uh, despite it being the largest center um, uh, and concentration, it's also a Shia demographic uh, majority, but Shias being a minority within Islam itself. Um, so I'd like to ask you uh, about how you found um, your experiences in Dearborn, given your own backgrounds in different parts of the, of the Muslim world, both in the West and in the Middle East. Um, what makes Dearborn um, unique uh, in your perspective, and what are the unique challenges and opportunities that such a community brings with itself? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The community in southeastern Michigan uh, started, at least the Shia part of it, started from late uh, 19th century, when Lebanese were those days they were not Lebanese per the se, during the Ottoman Empire, people from Levant, which included both Syrian uh, in the contemporary understanding and Lebanese and Jordanians and Palestinians began to uh, move to the West in search of uh, work and pro uh, primarily bettering their uh, e economic and financial situation. In the and they move through different phases. Certainly during the 1920s and 1930s with the advent of the First World War and the upheaval, we began to notice huge exodus 
uh, both in Iraq, which led to the uh, Chaldonian community, mm -hmm. the Christian Chaldonians, to move out of Iraq and to settle in the United States. Uh, and uh, uh, during that period of time, a number of Lebanese and Syrians uh, moving out of that area and coming towards the United States. During the Second World War, the same thing, it continues. And as a group settles and creates the nucleus uh, for that community, it begins to attract relatives first from mm. their own community. Mm. And then as the uh, community uh, is bec becomes bigger, mm -hmm. become the attractive uh, place for the rest of the uh, countrymen and mm -hmm. uh, others to come over here because mm -hmm. now you have relatives or people that you know, etc. Mm -hmm. The question of job was another attraction mm -hmm. for people to come forth. Uh, motor industry here uh, worked huge. They needed huge manpower, mm -hmm. and I've talked to a number of Lebanese. They say you walk, you literally landed uh, mm -hmm. at night, and the next morning you had mm -hmm. a job at Ford because mm -hmm. you had somebody within your relatives mm -hmm. or friends that they were working mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Originally, once they started at the beginning, structuring themselves as a community, say Lebanese community with a clear identity uh, or parameters drawn was not something that they did. Mm -hmm. They simply came over here, uh, started a job and had an income, later on brought their families, etc., etc. And uh, because there was no clear structure, no planning, the early uh, immigrant drifted away from, say, Islam, religion and so on, married, uh, Christian ladies and within American uh, General Malou and even to the point that their attachment to Islam was was very weak beyond some superficial issues that's it mm. occasionally there some of them even some Lebanese remember here that uh, they used to hire a hole a very dilapidated mm. place mm. that would get together uh, call a Thursday night or Friday or something uh, the discussion between themselves and uh, as the, the community in, uh, got bigger and enlarged mm -hmm. they began to think of organizing themselves mm -hmm. what we have today when Muslims at that time were as diverse as you could imagine you can go to the gallery section mm -hmm. in here and you see the first fundraising that was organized in mm -hmm. southeastern Michigan or Detroit area mm -hmm. western Detroit this huge uh, hall is full of people from Le Le Lebanon Syria African American mm -hmm. Albanians mm -hmm. uh, and others uh, mm -hmm. Arab world Egyptians mm -hmm. Palestinians they were all uh, working together mm. African Americans tended to be the the dominant factor during mm. the 1930s 40s and 50s mm. but as the numbers increased number must have increased then they became mm. uh, kind of parallel in in, mm. in numbers there's the Ahmadiyya community as well at that time. it's yeah. recent oh, Ahmadiyya oh, recent okay. recent these, these are uh, once the Pakistani issue oh. uh, developed and they were uh, kind of uh, how can I put it uh, they, they, the Pakistani community began uh, to uh, move against them, that mm, they began mm, to move away mm, from Pakistan and mm, they went to London, established mm, a center in, in Canada and in the right. United States, particularly around this area. Mm. 
they are very small compared mm -hmm. to similar to the Ismailis, for example, right. uh, compared to the Twelvers mm -hmm. in the Shia community and the Muslims in general. Mm -hmm. uh, this center was uh, invited uh, uh, Marhum Sheikh Sherry around 1948, 1949, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, who had just finished mm -hmm. his work in Najaf and went mm -hmm. back to, to Lebanon. He was Lebanese originally. Yes. Uh, he was very friend with Marhum Mughniya. They were working mm. together at the time. Mm. And he was invited to come over here. Uh, once he's here, he realized that how dysfunctional and uh, the, the, the community is. So thought right at the beginning that they really needed a center that becomes the focus of the community and brings mm. everyone uh, mm. together. After many years of hard work, they established the first mosque the Albanian community started the center somewhere mm. else, and the Shia community started the center, which still exists on Joy Road, Joy Road right. and uh, Greenfield Avenue at right. that junction. Yeah. Uh, and th that center became literally the center that attracted mm. uh, people from all walks of life. Mm. Uh, soon, the, the community, uh, the numbers inc increased mm. as the second generation came in. Mm. Uh, and uh, they realized that they really needed to do something. Around late 1980s, uh, began the planning for moving a mm -hmm. to a different place, mm -hmm. and ultimately, it, uh, by around early 2000, this center was mm -hmm. organized. By that time, Sheikh Sherry has already passed away. Mm -hmm. God bless his soul in 1994, mm -hmm. and. Uh, there were a number of uh, uh, scholars that were religious scholars that were invited to come to the center as my predecessors. Mm -hmm. That is the kind of background uh, that, with regard to the uh, mm. Lebanese community, but mm. certain events, political events and upheaval in the in the Middle East, mm. led to uh, more people migrating Probably, to the West. Yeah. 1990 and the economic embargo in Iraq mm. pushed a number of Iraqis out. Right. First, they went to uh, the tents in mm. in Saudi Arabia, oh. and then uh, United Nations. Uh, refugee or organization mm. began to distribute them around different parts of European countries mm. and some mm. came over here. Once the Iraqi community established here a, a base for itself and there is another bigger community, Lincoln, Nebraska, mm. Uh, mm. then they began to attract other places, other mm. Iraqis to come and settle mm. next to them. There were mm. two there are made one fundamental difference between the Lebanese uh, approach uh, or mindset with the Iraqis. Mm -hmm. Iraqis, the, 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 those immigrants that were uh, helped by uh, United Nations agencies, mm -hmm. uh, they came here thinking that they are, their position here is a temporary one mm -hmm. and they're going to go back. Mm -hmm. So there was no plan literally for anything. I saw this in Canada when mm. I was there in 1996, 1995-96. The same thing, the father, his son was born in Canada, 16, 17 years old, and I say, okay, what's the plan for him? Oh, Morana, we are going back to Iraq, but never realizing okay. that he might want to go back to Iraq. The this kids says, yeah. have nothing to do with Iraq. Similar to a lot of Iranians are yes, like that. Yes, we have here. Yeah. But this is certainly one of the issues that mm. we have. Mm. So there was no planning for the Iraqis. It Less was so for the Lebanese, though. That's Re Lebanese, once they established themselves mm. and brought their families here, mm. at least 
they were quite clear with their financial and economic mm. goals mm. to make their their mm. life better. Mm. So they worked hard, chasing the American dreams and to strengthen their position. Mm. That's the, mm. no matter whether they were. Uh, after religion or secular mm. away from religion at least there was a common denominator between them that they wanted to become financially well off mm. and that at least created some kind of dynamics uh, within the Lebanese community mm. now we have a third dimension here a fourth dimension due to post Arab Spring mm -hmm. and uh, the crisis in Yemen huge number of Yemenis are moving into the area and uh, Syrians mm. For a while, uh, in post uh, at least 2013-2014, with the uprising in Syria, mm -hmm. uh, American government didn't want to admit that the crisis in Syria is not going according to the plan. Mm -hmm. So for uh, sometimes, they were not allowing any Syrians to come in. Mm -hmm. Finally, they had to ad uh, under pressure mm -hmm. by United Nations, they had to admit it, and we have now Syrians mm -hmm. coming in. So now we have Syrians, mm -hmm. Yemenis. Iraqis mm. and uh, Lebanese, all mm. within this close proximity. Right. And theologically, they are different as well. Right. Right. Syrians tend to be some Shias, some Alawis, mm. little bit few Sunnis. And the Christian ones, they tend to move towards the Christian environment, which is uh, very close to uh, mm. the Iraqi right. uh, Chaldean. Chaldeans right. and others. The Sunnis will be around and the Shias will be around here. Mm. Yemenis, a uh, few centers that they have established for mm. themselves in Hamtrak and uh, in the south, uh, industrial zones, mm. uh, they have established themselves mm. over there. Mm. The Shia community is around mm. Dearborn, Dearborn Heights, mm. and uh, uh, West Detroit, mm. uh, around this proximity of about two or three mm. mile mm. radius. Mm. The, the presence of a number of centers uh, whether this center, which is the biggest, and mm. the other ones have facilitated that mm. at least from a religious point of view there will be places of worship, right. etc. But structure to, and I have repeatedly said this mm. during my sermons, we really have no plan on how mm. we are going to work within this mm. greater schema of the mm. society that we live in. Mm both as part of civil society mm -hmm. uh, and political life, economic life, and the role that Islam, mm -hmm. Shiism within mm -hmm. Islam, Islam mm -hmm. in general and Shiism within mm -hmm. Islam, has to play in this complex relationship uh, of us, mm -hmm. minority, within a minority, mm -hmm. within a majority. Right. This has to be addressed, right. uh, which so far they tend to be, and my predecessors mm. unfortunately did not help, mm. rather than to take a pragmatic uh, anti-colonial stance, mm. they collaborated mm -hmm. with the American government mm. uh, in, and even supported it in uh, attacking Iraq mm. uh, and being, uh, uh, and even to going as far as uh, threatening, uh, supporting them to, th to attack, if possible, attack Iran. Mm. So this has created a unique mindset that when it comes to politics, uh, they don't want to discuss anything that uh, they, they consider it to be con controversial. Mm. But these are various mm. issues. Mm. We haven't been able to establish, the Shias have not been able to establish a center. 
uh, in the local universities mm. uh, within prox- a mm. mile proximity, mm. University of Michigan Dearborn, mm. uh, Western State University, mm. Univer- uh, Michigan State University, etc., mm. etc., et Ann Arbor or mm. anywhere else. Mm. These are shortcomings mm. of this community. Mm. That's on one side. Mm. While the concentration and the richness ha- creates its own unique mm. uh, advantages. Mm-hmm. When it comes to disadvantages, mm-hmm. we really have a number of crises uh, of mm-hmm. uh, alienation within the youth, and uh, because they are unable to understand who they are, mm-hmm. to clearly construct mm-hmm. an answer to who we are, mm-hmm. the identity issue, mm-hmm. they seem to be drifting mm-hmm. either away from faith into a secular mindset or some of them moving even towards drug, uh, alcohol, uh, opiate, which has devastated the community. Mm -hmm. Going on the issue of identity, one of the major issues that faces um, generally uh, immigrant communities is the issue of language. Um, Generally, the language tends to be um, lost within second, especially third generation um, immigrant communities. Do you think language is an important aspect of of that identity of keeping in touch with uh, the roots of these diaspora communities, or um, are there other areas that you think are higher priority or more um, pragmatic to focus on? Well, I certainly. I mean, I I, I couldn't agree mm. with the notion that Arabic language is not just a language of uh, say race. Mm-hmm that we are an Arab and we speak Arabic language and somehow Arabic links us to Mm. our own homeland Mm. or country, Mm. motherland, whatever. Because Arabic language is the language of Quran, the language of Hadith, the language of uh, literally Islamic culture Mm. and civilization, once our youth lose that language, they are unable to link and communicate with their own history. Mm. And we see as part of at least the French attempt as during their colonial period in Africa, one of the first thing that they focused upon of it was to rob the native of their original language mm. and bec- uh, for French to become the medium by which they communicated. Mm. And as a result, for them to say once Swahili was lost, uh, people from, say, uh, Sahel al-Aj or mm. somewhere else, to be able to find out about their own history, they had to go through French route mm. to go back mm. into their own history. And that is one of the fundamental uh, problems. Mm. Yes, the, the early generation created, uh, because they, they, their own proficiency of language was extremely minimal, uh, beyond some basic things, uh, mm-hmm. buying few things in here English, and there in English, yeah. So they needed their first generation to be able to learn the language to be to communicate with with their parents who were immigrant. Right. But unfortunately, as the first generation grew older and became proficient in the in English language, mm-hmm. that minor need that was expressed to them as minor to be able to communicate mm. with with their elders was lost. Mm. Mm. The, fr- the Saturday school, the Sunday school became some kind of a cultural issue, it's not necessary, because now parents and children 
fluently spoke the language and there was no need for a, th a second language. Mm -hmm. This, again, we see it in... They learn the language, even with regard to prayers. They learn it by heart, like a mm -hmm. parrot. They be able mm -hmm. to say, but put Quran in front of them, mm -hmm. they are unable mm -hmm. to read it. Very few, unless they have gone to Arabic schools and their parents have been dedicated to teach them, etc., mm -hmm. etc., et they have been unable to, uh, they are unable uh, to, they stand and at best they recite a verse uh, from memory or, or by heart. But when you put the same verse in front of them to read it, mm -hmm. they are unable to do mm -hmm. it. So that's a shortcoming that we really need mm -hmm. to address. Mm -hmm. And as I said, that leads this is a secondary issue to that right. paramount and uh, fundamental issue of identity who right. are we right. and that issue has to be resolved do you think that um there is a recognition now within the community that there is a crisis of of identity and what it means to be um either uh, a muslim american or a lebanese american or however you want to define that identity, there's multiple ways in which the identity can, can express itself. Do you think that there's a recognition within the community now of that crisis, or is there still a sense of overall denial or um, you know, ignoring that, that crisis? I think more of uh, floating and ignoring it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why in the early part mm -hmm. I said we really need uh, proper introduction of Shiism, its meaning, mm. its philosophy, its history, its politics and mm. everything else mm. to be consolidated and solidified in the mind of the youth. Mm. It's only once that base, that foundation, both on an epistemological mm. and ontological base is clearly established. Mm. They clearly understand as Shia who they are and what is their role here. Mm -hmm. Then everything else becomes one by one pieces that fit uh, and mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. part of the mm -hmm. jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. At the moment when you talk to them about identity, because of that absence of that foundation, mm -hmm. they really don't see the need. Mm -hmm. Well, I can function mm -hmm. right. as I am. However contested identity I believe in, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I can go to work, mm -hmm. I can come home, I can earn, I can go to school, I can become a doctor, I can mm -hmm. be... That's it. Mm -hmm. Within this uh, kind of narrow scope of the world that they have created mm -hmm. around themselves, mm -hmm. you don't need identity. Mm -hmm. It's only when you try to talk to them about, okay, what is your role within mm -hmm. this society? Mm -hmm. That then they have no uh, mm. no clear answer, mm. Mm. and that becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. The Jewish person has created his own identity within the last fifty years. The Christian has done it. Mm -hmm. uh, the Koreans have done it. Mm. The Indians have done it. Everybody else. Is, who are you? Mm. Mm. Some kind of there are calls even within the center. And we don't need Arabic. We want all of us have to speak uh, English, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Why do we have two khutbas on Friday prayer, mm -hmm. one in Arabic, one in, one in English? Mm -hmm. Because they don't understand, mm -hmm. first of all, the critical role of Arabic language mm -hmm. in the construction of culture and history mm -hmm. and civilization. Secondly, how easily those uh, communities that have given up their original language been absorbed mm -hmm. and literally go through metamorphism within the bigger uh, um, society that they live because you don't have anything else. Yeah. 
and then you have to go through English to be able to identify. You would assume that given the large amount of Arab Americans, that at least on the linguistic level, that there would be um, more of an appreciation or ability to create sort of frameworks where Arabic could be uh, more amenable for the children growing up. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I, you don't really see that. I see a lot of second generation, like the kids of, the, of immigrants, they can understand, but they can't speak or mm -hmm. read. Um, for the most part, and the same, same, same with myself as well. Um, although uh, you know we didn't have a big Iranian American community around uh, per se, but um, but I think you find it across the board mm -hmm. uh, with with Muslims uh, in particular. Um, it's the ease. Yeah. It's the ease. When once parents become proficient right. and children uh, mm -hmm. uh, learn the same yeah. language and speak, why do I need to go mm -hmm. to Arabic right. unless you understand right. what it means for the kids once they mm. lose mm. Uh, that connection mm. uh, in, in their culture, mm. understanding culture right. and history right. and civilization. We have here, I mean, now uh, within the Arab community, mm. particularly Lebanese and Iraqis, uh, a resurgence mm. of organizing uh, Al-Adab Al-Arabi, mm. mm. which is the Arabic uh, uh, linguistic uh, and people bring into mm. uh, in, uh, poetry, uh, literature. Uh, literature, and everything else mm. on a regular basis. Mm. So they are, we have poet mm. and uh, mm. reciting mm. and uh, li mm. uh, literature, mm. etc. But this is on a higher level, right. not on a lower level for the kids. Mm. Mm. We really need to create something that the kids will be, be introduced early on, mm. not just to Aleph, Beta, and, mm. and, mm. and that's it. No, to understand, to read, and uh, so that mm. the lost history that is not available to them accessible. become accessible. Exactly. And exactly. later on, inshallah, when they grow older, they go mm. to university, they educate themselves, they become bilingual or uh, trilingual, mm. uh, trilingual, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So that's an advantage for them. Mm -hmm. but. This is not something that mm -hmm. at the moment, because they don't want to be, mm -hmm. uh, how can I put it, visible. Right. The, uh, you become visible when you feel that there is a role for you within the society. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to uh, be visible and as a result they don't want, mm -hmm. they would kind of brush everything else that make them visible mm -hmm. under the carpet. Well, where do you think that, that uh that fear or um, lack of self-confidence comes from. Um, I think in general, like you mentioned, it is it tends to be an issue, particularly in post-colonial countries, where there's a feeling of being lower culturally or class-wise yeah. um, to, um, like, say, French or English or whatever the, the dominant language tends to be. But where do you think in particular, you know, for Muslims uh, and for Arab Americans, that um, that feeling of inferiority comes from? Yeah, it's it's again we go back to uh, th that colonial period when the French were in control of Lebanon and uh, Syria or Levant mm -hmm. constantly bombarded the mind of the people that the best language you can speak mm -hmm. and the culture and so on mm -hmm. is French mm -hmm. even in Iran mm -hmm. uh, French was considered right. to be the language of culture this is why law degrees yeah, you had to learn uh, French to be able to go to law mm -hmm. school mm -hmm. and finish law degrees uh, and uh, that mindset, which was col uh, colonialism of the mind, 
more than I have else. to provide Once they control the mind and an alternative strategy is in just politics an inferior language, language of the part of my faith. Uh, alternative strategy in economics, when economics fails, then that when mindset power becomes arrogance, when the baggage power becomes blind, pick it up when marginalization takes place, when imbalance up the English language as the language or any other language as the language for communication, even definition because then we can hide behind it and speak separation. Between you and your wife at home, you might speak Arabic, but outside, you try to you let her that attempt to speak rather than speak Arabic with each other. And that is part of that colonial every aspect of it. Every aspect. Well, Sheikh Khazruni, uh, I'd like to really thank you for your time now and for inviting me to the Islamic Society of America. I think, um, I think for, it's a wonderful role model to, to be. Um, Inshallah, we should, we should, we this, this challenge um, has to be addressed by all working together. Uh, I think it's collective responsibility. It will not. So on that note, thank you very much, Sheikh Khazruni, for your time. Thank you. Feeling under pressure from general society, from the news and from from those things but now I you know there's a sense of of losing out from from the richness of our own heritage and identity um, does there seem to be an, an opportunity an opening now in which we can start to conceptualize ways in which that identity can be reapproached um, in our current context I certainly uh, see the opportunity for it to be created and that's what when I say a more fundamental approach to understanding Shiism and our role, that issue has to be part of mm. that uh, mm -hmm. project mm. Uh, that uh, reminds us of our richness of our yeah. history, reminds us of the language that you mm. can communicate and connect with that richness mm. and culture, uh, and uh, reintroduces some of the, those lost, mm -hmm. uh, whether uh, understanding mm. or uh, mm -hmm. uh, concepts mm. that are so critical in the construction of identity is it's when you are not clear about who you are mm. that you feel inferior mm. or so weak in standing up mm. and defending yourself mm. otherwise mm. one shouldn't mm. feel right. no matter right. how pluralistic the society is mm. in the same manner as that others uh, stand up and defend themselves or have a clear understanding mm. who they are. Mm. The uniqueness of pluralistic society, at least the way I understand it, uh, mm. is that for everyone to be able to mm. contribute to the well-being of everybody else within the society, mm. as you are, mm -hmm. with your own culture, with your own understanding, your own language, uh, and civilization and everything else. It's, it, if the, civil, the culture demands that you give up on certain aspects of mm -hmm. uh, your life, that's not pluralism. Right. It's top-down asymmetrical relationship. Right. Right. But uh, uh, if we really understand pluralism the way it should be, then I have to be whoever I am. Right. You have to be whoever you are. Mm -hmm. But there are some uh, overlaps right. between our own understanding of who mm -hmm. we are mm -hmm. that we are prepared to work together. Right. Uh, and if I am not clear about who I am, mm -hmm. you are not clear about who you are, I don't, I don't think that overlap or the mm -hmm. common deno denominator can mm -hmm. be established, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we can work together. Absolutely. So we tend to right. stay away from the center of power mm -hmm. or the civil society or Am mm -hmm. uh, American mm -hmm. uh, uh, being mm -hmm. active in mm -hmm. the society, mm -hmm. and uh, we always are marginalized. Mm -hmm. Despite the openness. Yes. There, the, 
which exists uh, in the society, um, in the university systems and yeah. in other places. Um, but speaking about that, uh, the dynamic between particularism and universalism, I think um, is a very fascinating one, especially for, for Shia Islam, because of the deep um, universalist elements within Shia Islam in particular, uh, because of the Irfani and mystical uh, tradition as well, or the, the heritage of that as well. Um, but when we think about Shia Islam today, um, we tend to associate it with certain ritualistic practices. Um, and that's, you know, p partially because of a, we take for granted a, a secular understanding of dividing religion, politics, society from each other. Um, so we associate Shiism with um, prayer in the mosque, Ashura, um, and maybe a few other uh, sort of uh, commemorative parts during the year. Um, but Shiism is it's much more comprehensive mm -hmm. than that. Um, it's, like you mentioned earlier, it's an ontology, it's, it has its own epistemology, it's a heritage, it has... Um, what are some what are some things that we can do to sort of rediscover some of those areas of of what Shiism can mean for us today in this uh, in this society as Shia Muslims? Well, uh, let me address briefly that notion of individualism versus versus uh, collectivism. I think this is the academic discourse on that does not help. Mm. Humans per se, as humans, as uh, Aristotle said, mm. is a political animal. In a means, is that has to grow in a social. Mm. Uh, so individualism does not mean anything without the the, the collectivism, mm. uh, and uh, the collectivism does not mean uh, without in, uh, anything without individualism. It's a matter of academic. Once we move away from it, we go back to the point that I raised. For us as Muslims, mm -hmm. or as Shias, mm -hmm. what is the role of Islam mm -hmm. in our life mm -hmm. and in our society is mm -hmm. not clear. Mm -hmm. Are we, uh, do we believe that Islam is purely a religion mm -hmm. that manifests itself in mosques mm -hmm. and through that ritual behavior that you mentioned? Mm -hmm. Or do we believe Islam and particularly Shiism mm -hmm. Uh, unpacks itself in every aspects of human life, whether hu individual or collective. These two are two opposite sides of a continuum mm -hmm. that requires us to behave differently if we locate and position ourselves in, in either one of these positions. Mm -hmm. If we position... Now, until that becomes clear... Sorry. Until that issue becomes clear... Uh, we really can't do much. Mm -hmm. For once we understand that Islam came to create a pragmatic society that uh, uh, based on justice and mm -hmm. seeks justice and mm -hmm. establishes justice, mm -hmm. that understanding and mindset creates a different responsibility for us as Muslims and in Shias particularly. Mm -hmm. Because our Imams and Ahlul Bayt constantly have been trying to motivate us to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's one thing. Or no, if we reduce Islam and particularly Shiism to the superficial issues that mm -hmm. we are familiar with, mm -hmm. Muharram, mm -hmm. uh, Ramadan, and that's it, mm -hmm. then that requires a different approach to mm -hmm. it. I can survive, however, at the margin, mm -hmm. if I believe that Islam and Shiism doesn't go beyond that ritualistic approach that we, are, we have been doing it so far. But certainly, 
I will not be happy with my position if I were to look at it from the second perspective. Mm -hmm. No, my res responsibility as a Shia mm -hmm. is not just to uh, concentrate on purely ritualistic issue. Mm -hmm. My responsibility is to guide. Mm -hmm. My responsibility is to provide an alternative narrative and paradigm when the society becomes corrupted. My responsibility is to become active in political and civil society. My responsibility is to challenge the, the corrupt institution if they are not just and seek justice. My responsibility is not to accept the privilege that this corrupt society uh, gives it to me at the, at the expense mm -hmm. of the life and the, uh, the, the privileges mm -hmm. of others mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the life of others. Mm -hmm. So these are two different approach yeah. and yeah. That's, that becomes yeah. clear when institutions, mm -hmm. whether academic mm -hmm. or centers, religious centers, mm -hmm. work together to bring this to the attention of the community sure. that look guys, yeah. you, are, you are in much better shape in this, in this country that green passport or the blue passport gives you advantages, the constitution gives you advantages, yeah. that you can do so much uh, for the betterment of everybody else. American society. Uh, American society in general, because ultimately it, it leads into your own children's benefiting from yeah. it, uh, or next generation benefiting from it, rather than just moving under, under the radar and simply being happy with the right. little bit of material right. success that you right. make. Right. And it's it's a responsibility both as Muslims and as Americans to use that heritage um, in order to contribute back to yes. the society around us. Um, so when you yeah. said about yeah. uh, the the spirituality mm -hmm. and universal, mm -hmm. universality and mm -hmm. everything else, it these are uh, paradigms within mm -hmm. the vision. Yes, right. If I if I locate myself in the ritualistic part, narrow yeah. scope, I really yeah. don't need. Yeah. Uh, it's neither here yeah. nor there about yeah. plural, pluralism. Yeah. Yeah. As it happened after that meeting that we had here, yes. a number of people came yeah. to me and said, Mulana, what's the use of talking mm. about mm. the con mm. it, it just did not register. Mm. As in it was too academic in that? No, concept. not only that. It, it just the concept uh, was not necessary. Gotcha. Yeah. Why? Because they saw their role right. in, within that limited. Mm. Mm. But I said, what about if this is our responsibility? Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that make any difference? Absolutely. Pluralism now... When I say I have the responsibility to seek yeah. justice and establish justice, yeah. where does that locate yeah. me within the center yeah. of yeah. this complex uh, society that I live in? Yeah. Absolutely. I have yeah. to come up with a vision, exactly. with a narrative to transcend every yeah. level that I yeah. pass. Within the Shia, I have to have one different approach. Within the Sunni Muslim community, I have a different narrative. Within the collective, I have a different in political, in economic, mm -hmm. in uh, academic, and social, etc., etc. Right. Et right. Then that creates a different dynamic for us mm -hmm. as a Shia community. Mm -hmm. Sunni can uh, say, "Ati Allah wa Ati Al Rasul wa Al Amr minkum," and simply Trump is in power. I have to follow. That's it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. What about us? Mm -hmm. That concept of concept of justice is constantly mm. being told and reminded mm. that you are uh, you are obligated to to implement Absolutely. it. Absolutely, I mean the I think there's sufficient evidence. Like in we look at our own history. I mean, look at uh, if we like we mentioned before, if Imam Ali came, if the Prophet Muhammad came, um, and we look at their historical circumstance when the Prophet uh, Muhammad came. Uh, to Arabia at that time, he didn't come with a very narrow understanding of this is a Muslim identity. If you don't do X, Y, Z, then you're in or out. 
um, in the sense of ritualistic practice or certain t- types of cultural, um, you know, uh, cultural um, uh, activities. Instead, it was a monotheistic reform movement, um, as many of the scholars of this period have also picked up on, that it was a message that was addressed towards class inequalities, tribal inequalities, mm-hmm. every other verse of the Quran is about the yatim, is about the orphans. Mm-hmm. Every other verse is about us giving a zakat or sadaqah to those who uh, need it in society. Even the calls. Yeah. It's not just for the believer. It's not Ya Ayyuhalladina Amin mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. There are a huge amount of Ya Ayyuhannas. Ya Ayyuhannas. Establishment mm-hmm. uh, of a pragmatic society does not necessarily mm-hmm. mean establishment of a single faith. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because uh, diversity within the faith is, as the verse in the Holy Quran says, mm-hmm. is intended to be. Right. Otherwise, Allah fool, would have created, yeah. yes, yeah. would have cre- created a monolithic community right. and that's, right. that would have been the end of it. Right. How the diversity should be the, the, the mean by which convergence exactly. is established. Right. And for us to be able to have that means we have to have a particular language, a particular strategy, particular mm-hmm. paradigm, particular approach, uh, and and clear understanding that our role is not superficial. Mm-hmm. Once we are within this complex mm-hmm. melting pot, mm-hmm. we need to be uh, there to mm-hmm. to to help mm-hmm. the rest of the community. Absolutely. Whether they yeah. uh, they like it or they don't, right, right, right. I have an obligation to discharge. Exactly, and I think I mean um, the basic prophetic message throughout all religions, uh, at least the Abrahamic ones um, that I'm familiar with, has 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 been that when the Prophet Jesus also entered society, he targeted those who were charging interest, mm-hmm. for example, right. I mean, these are all it's part of that. Um, that that message of justice that mm-hmm. runs deeply throughout throughout that site. Yeah, yeah. So why shouldn't we? I mean, you know, a lot of times you'll hear keep politics out of it, um, out of out of the out of the mosque, for example. Well, everything is is to a certain extent it is connected to. I mean, what you consider to be the political is also a very contested notion of what that means. Unfortunately, you know? Brother Muhammad, what yeah. one thing has happened that. What we have as defined as politics in the Western tradition Mm -hmm. is not what uh, Islam defines (laughs) as politics. Politics within Islam is strategy. Mm. It's not particular. Yeah, Siyasa uh, siyasa means strategy. Siyasatul idara, which means a strategy that you use Mm -hmm. within the governance. Siyasatul hukuma, siyasatul a'iliya, siyasatul uh, Mm. uh, deen. So these Mm. are strategies. Mm. 